Praise God. Okay, let's go on with the message today. The message today is engage, engage. Six practices of believers. And I'm going to talk to you about six practices every believer should engage in. If you're a believer, say amen. amen. Yeah, you guys at home as well. Just say amen. Good. <laughs> All right. Now, these are six practices every believer should engage in. But I'm not referring to spiritual practices like praying and, and reading your Bible, your quiet time with the Lord. Now, this message is about what happens when you get up <laughs> after your quiet time, after your reading, after your praying. What do you do? I'm talking about lifestyle and attitudes. That's what this message is about. Practices, things that you practice that you do in your life. Today is part one, and I will talk about two of these practices, and next week we will talk about the rest. Listen, as we slowly come out of this global pandemic, which has disrupted lives, I want to make sure that all of us, all of us, have not lost sight of our core practices as believers. We continue to live in uncertainty. We continue to learning to live with COVID, but now dealing with a war that affects all of us. We will be very soon coming out of this, you know, state of disaster and, and, and things will be more normalized, but you're going to have to live with certain precautions and with this uncertainty. And of course, during this pandemic, many things have shifted, people. People's lives have been affected. The way we do church has been affected. Our routines have been affected. People have moved, people have changed, people have adjusted, people have come and people have gone. As a local church, we need to rebuild some things, start some things and reevaluate some things. We are not in the same position that we were two years ago. In some ways, we have grown and expanded. We have friends worshiping with us today that are far from Pretoria, but we are united in one spirit, and it's great to have you as part of our church family. And I also want to bring this message to make sure that old and young, new believers, older believers, current members, and those who are considering coming into membership, those who are here in Pretoria, and those who are far away. I want all of us to understand the basic practices of believers. In this shifting and uncertain world, we need to be grounded in some basic practices. Amen? Now, it's possible that many of you at you know, Waking Life Church, some of you that have been believers for a long time, you may be familiar with what I'm going to share with you. You may know and be practicing all or most of the things in this passage. You may ask, and why then, Pastor? If you know that many of us know these things, why are you telling them us again? Well, it's simple. Let me quote the Apostle Paul. He says in Philippians uh, chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, It doesn't bother me to write the same things to you that I have written before. In fact, it is for your own good. <laughs> and, and so Paul would repeat stuff. He would write stuff and then write it again. He would say stuff and then 
say it again. Preach stuff and preach it again. And if the apostle Paul could do it, so can I. <laughs> you know, but it says, why? It's for your own good. Another translation says, it is necessary. Another translation says, because they protect you. Hearing these things over and over are good for you, necessary for you, and they protect you. Amen? The apostle Peter also had no problem in repeating stuff. Listen to him. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. I will always remind you of these things. I will always remind you. When you remind somebody of something, it's because you're saying it over again, right? I can't remind you of something that you didn't know or that they didn't tell you before. So if Peter is reminding, he's repeating himself. He says, I'll do it even though you know them. <laughs> he says, I'll do it even, even though you now have deep roots in the truth. Wow. So even though we may be rooted in the truth, we need to hear these things again. It's a biblical principle. So forgive me if I'm going to preach something that you know. But you see, our tendency as humans, because we are still living in a sinful world, surrounded by nonsense, our tendency is to forget the good stuff. And if you don't get reminded, if you don't get surrounded by these things, it is easy to let it go. So it is necessary. These are things that every believer, every believer should do. It is normal for believers to do these things. However, it has become normal <laughs> for many believers to not do some of these things. What was once part of the normal Christian life has now become part of the optional Christian life. Hmm. Why is this happening? Well, the Bible gives us some clues. And I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Listen to this. Here is what I want you to know. There will be terrible times in the last days. Now, as I continue reading... Just, just listen carefully and let me know if this, any of this sounds familiar. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will love themselves. They will love money. They will brag and be proud. They will tear others down. They will not obey the parents. They won't be thankful or holy. They won't love others. They won't forgive others. They will tell lies about people. They'll be out of control. They will be wild. They will hate what is good. They will turn against their friends. They will act without thinking. They will think they are better than others. They will love what pleases them instead of loving God. They will act as if they were serving God, but what they will do will show that, that they have turned their backs on God's power have nothing to do with those people. Wow. And this was written before they had Facebook and social media. Huh? Now, here the Apostle Paul tells young Timothy, whom he was mentoring, he's telling Peter, uh, Timothy what the future looks like. Now, these characteristics have always been, to a degree or another, part of humanity. It's, it's old. You know, people fighting, people hating people, you know, 
and so on. But here, Paul speaks prophetically of the end times prior to the return of Jesus. And listen, as we look around, we see the convergence of so many biblical prophecies happening together, happening at once. Any serious believer cannot help but comes to the conclusion that we are living in the biblical end times. And if you read this passage, you have to realize that this stuff is going on in large scale right now in our society. And there is no natural or cultural sort of barrier. This stuff that we've just read is happening everywhere, all around the world. No matter what nationality, what country, what people, what background, this stuff is going on on a scale higher than we've ever seen before. And so Paul instructs Timothy in the following manner. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. He says, I want you, I want you to continue to follow what you have learned. Don't give up what you are sure of. You know the people you learned it from. You have known the Holy Scriptures since you were a little child. And many of you watching, listening, many of you here have known the Scriptures since you were little. I know some of us came to know God a bit later in life, but most of us have known the Scriptures since we were little. Sunday school and even in school. And he says, you have known the Holy Scriptures. They, the Scriptures, are able to teach you how to be saved by believing in Jesus Christ. But then it goes on further. He says, God has breathed life into all of Scripture. It is useful for teaching us what is true. It is useful for correcting our mistakes. It is useful for making our lives whole again. It is useful for training us to do what is right. By using scripture, a man of God or a woman of God can be completely prepared to do every good thing. And so, Paul makes it clear that in times where morality and integrity collapse, a man or woman of God, a believer, must turn to the word of God, the Bible. And in verse 16, we find four applications of the Word of God in our lives. And I read them now. It is useful to teach us, to teach us what is true, to correct our mistakes, to make our lives whole again, and to train us to do what is right. And now, just because Paul spoke to Timothy about these things, it does not mean that the application of the Word of God are for pastors and church leaders only. Yeah, I know Timothy was a church leader. But when he writes to Timothy, he's writing to the church. Amen? And so we are to be taught biblical principles and practices. All of us are to do these things. And when we make mistakes, the Word of God is there to correct our mistakes. If we have developed practices that are unbiblical or unhealthy, the Word of God is there to lead us to be made whole again. Amen? And the Word is there to train us to do what is right. We have been trained by the Word of God today. As we hear it, the Word of God is training us if we all embrace it and do it. And so we shall look at six practices of believers. 
From the first century, followers of Christ have been practicing these things. There are not only six practices in the life of a believer, but attention to these six will ensure that anything else that needs to happen in the life of a Christian will happen. Amen? If these six are in place, the believers will be in a position to learn and do all that they need to learn and do as disciples of Christ. So here we go. Practice number one is called honorable conduct. Number one, honorable conduct. What is honorable conduct? Well, it is the opposite of everything we've just read in, in, in that chapter of First Timothy chapter 3. Okay? All those things that's going on, we are not supposed to do any, any of that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, nothing of that, those, the end time things, we're not supposed to do that. Honorable conduct is the opposite of that. Here's what the apostle Peter had to say about it. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. He says, beloved, I beg you, huh? strong words, and church, I beg you today, amen? As sojourners, as pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now check this, verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, live your life in such a way that people look at your life and they say, I can't really bring anything against him or her. That the only thing they can, the only accusation they can bring against us is that maybe we are religious freaks. Okay? And we keep on talking about this Jesus and we keep on trying to follow him and, and we think that he's God and, you know, <laughs> that the world's going to end and that kind of stuff. In other words, if they're going to accuse us, let them accuse us of being followers of Jesus. Hmm. Live your life in a non-hypocritical way. That is, let what you say and what you do match. Let what you say that you believe about God and about Jesus and about faith, let what you say match the way you live. Huh? We live in days where people are looking for authenticity. People are tired of people out there talking things, moralizing, but not living up to what they say. Hmm? Very few people today are impressed by big names or big meetings, big churches anymore. Unfortunately, over time, over the centuries, the Christian church has made grave mistakes, terrible mistakes. To the point that the term Christian in some countries and among some groups of people is an offense. Yeah. In our own lifetime, so many well-known pastors, church leaders, and big-name Christians have projected such a bad testimony, such a bad image, and given Christianity such a bad name that many people, unbelievers, they want nothing to do with Christianity or the church. Because when you come along and you try to talk about faith and about Christ, they, the image of those guys, you know, you know those guys? Those guys come to their mind and says, I want nothing to do with you. And this is very sad. And it happens because some influential believers failed to give attention 
to their conduct. As a result, many believers think that living a holy life is impossible. Many Christians even are giving up on this because they see all these big leaders falling and they say, well, if those guys can't do it, who am I to think I can? And they just let go. It's so sad. But here is the truth, people. In Christ, you are already forgiven. When you surrendered your life to Christ, He forgave your sins. All of them. Including the ones that you have not committed yet, but you're still going to commit. Because as long as you're on this planet, we will still make mistakes. We're still going to commit sin. Be it in thought. Be it in a little snappy reaction. But listen. Just because I am forgiven, past, present, and future, does not mean... I can go on sinning regardless. All it means is that from a position of having been forgiven and having the Holy Spirit in me, I now, I take ownership of my life and of my conduct. And I choose, you hear that? Say choose. At home as well. Choose. I choose to behave in such a way that honors God. Enough of saying, oh God, if you want me to behave this way, then make me do it. Holy Spirit, force me to follow God. It's not going to happen. God gives you a command. God gives you instruction. With the instruction, God has given us the Holy Spirit to give us power to be children of God. But I have to choose still. To say, yes, Lord, I will do it with your help. And when I choose, man, the power of God is there. And I can start putting it into action. I may have to fight some things for a while. I may have to battle some stuff for a while. I may fall a couple of times. But by God, I'm going to get up and do it again until I get it right. Hallelujah. Amen. I choose to please the Lord. I choose to follow Christ. Amen? Is it easy? No. Is it possible? Yes, it is. This does not mean I'll ever make mistakes. That's not mean I'm perfect. What it means is that day to day, I will be aware of my conduct. And I will tend to make choices that please God. It means that if I do fail, I will not try to cover it up and blame others. Amen? I will own it, repent of it, apologize if I hurt other people in the process. I will admit I'm not perfect, but I will not use it as an excuse to continue in my weakness or my sin. Amen? I will admit I am not perfect, but I will not use it as an excuse to continue in my weakness or my sin. Did everybody hear that? It's become very popular these days. Oh, I'm just a sinner, you know. Oh, I'm still weak. Oh, I'm still... Yes, we're all in the process. But let's not use that as an excuse. Hello? Getting quiet in this church. <laughs> How do I measure my behavior? By, by what others say? By what impresses or offends other people? No. I measure my behavior by the standards of Scripture. It's what the Bible says. If there is anyone I want to honor, it's the Lord himself. How many of you know, if, if you're pleasing the Lord, 
that's about all you, you need to please. Amen? Because that's, that's what counts. I, at the end of my life, he's the one I've got to give an account to, not you guys. But, but how many of you know that if I endeavor to please the Lord, I'm most probably going to please a lot of other people as well. Because if I'm pleasing the Lord, I'm not talking bad about you. I'm not stealing from you. I'm not envying you. I'm not bad-mouthing you. Hello? Temptation might be there. But if I'm pleasing the Lord, I'm going to conduct myself in an honorable way. Hallelujah. I will not please everybody. There was nobody more perfect than Jesus on this earth. And he didn't please everybody. But we are not here to please people. We are to please the Lord. Amen. Now, why does this matter to God? Why should I be concerned about my conduct? Number one, because God commands it. And that is primary. And that should be enough. My life should be an act of worship to God. Number two, it is hypocritical to profess water of life, but live your life in contradiction to what you profess and what you say you believe. The Bible says such people are two-faced and will not inherit the kingdom of God. Number three, and this is what Peter is saying here, is that we represent the Lord Jesus when we live this way. You see, the world reads us more than they read the Bible. As you go about our lives, at school, at work, at gym, in the street, in the market, we might not be aware of it, but people are reading us. And those of you who know that you are a believer, they read you even more carefully. They're watching you. Amen? <laughs> so, although I do not love to please people, I do not want to misrepresent the Lord nor my faith. What does this mean in practice? Remember the little growth checklist in the beginning of the year that we spoke about? How are we doing there? If you missed that message, you can go onto our sermons page on our website and, and, and listen to it or, or watch it. Uh, it was in 9th, 9 January this year. It was based on 2 Peter chapter 1. And uh, there were seven virtues. I wonder if you're still pursuing them. There were goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Okay? Those are a little checklists for us to, to live by. Honorable conduct means pursuing those things. Honorable conduct means thinking before acting. It means asking yourself, is what I am about to do honoring God? It means that before you put your post on social media, <laughs> you think before you say go. All right? Is this content appropriate for a child of God? Is the use of this word appropriate for a child of God? Is this photo, is what I'm doing in this photo, what I'm projecting in this photo, is this appropriate for a child of God? Is my comment, my venting, my language, the comments and videos that I share, is this appropriate for a child of God? Why? Because other people are reading your posts and they're reading you. Through your posts. Hmm. Honorable conduct means remembering that there are people around you far away from Jesus. At school, at work, at play, in your neighborhood, among your family members, there are people far from Jesus. And you need to do whatever you can 
to remove obstacles and bring them closer to Jesus. Not give them more reason to stay away from church and stay away from God and stay away from the Bible, stay away from religion. Huh? How do you behave at socials? Do you abuse substances like the worldly people? Use the same language and tell the same dirty jokes? <laughs> do you express lust and have no self-restraint? You see, you need to remember that your conduct can do one of two things. Number one, it can help people get closer to Jesus. Or number two, it can push them further away from Jesus. It's the reality, guys. Do not be a stumbling block to people in their life journey. That's what it comes down to. The Bible says we are to avoid the appearance of evil. Even the appearance of evil, we are to avoid. And so if people are going to accuse us, let them accuse us of doing God-pleasing things. When the followers of Christ were first called Christians, it wasn't because they were loved and appreciated. They were called Christians because they were seen to be followers of Christ. It was a term to scorn them, to mock them. To refer to them as followers of Christ. People who did not acknowledge the emperor of Rome. Who believed and said that Jesus is Lord. Meantime, everybody knows that the emperor is Lord, right? Talking about first century now. And these guys are behaving differently. But they couldn't accuse them in their conduct. Because these guys were helping other people. Their lives were pleasing unto God. These disciples, first century disciples, they chose to behave more like Jesus than the society around them. How are we doing, guys? Are we trying to behave more like Jesus? Or are we trying to fit into society? I've got to blend I've got to look like society. I've got to dress like society. I've got to speak like society. I've got to fit into society. Otherwise, nobody's going to like me. And these days, it literally means a like. Social media. Come on, people. Number two. Characteristic number two. Disciple makers. And of course, this links with honorable behavior. But not only do we want to honor God, but we need to be aware that there are people around us who are far from Christ. And it is our calling and our mission to try to remove obstacles to their fear, to their indifference, or to their lack of faith. And try to move them closer to Jesus. Closer to making a decision for Christ. This is not the work of the pastor, of the evangelist, or the missionary only. It's become a trend now that you know, telling people about Jesus is somebody else's job, not mine. <laughs> Listen, church, church, we are the church. And this is our work. We all must be involved in this. It's our combined mission. As believers, we are to value life and eternity. Too many of us. Live as if only this life matters. We put all our effort into making this life as pleasant and comfortable as possible. But that is the way of the world, people. For us, this is not. We are only pilgrims in this world. That is what the Bible calls us, pilgrims. 
In the scripture I read earlier, that is what Peter calls us. Before telling us to mind our conduct, listen again to what he said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He said, Beloved, I beg of you as sojourners and pilgrims. In other words, we are temporarily going past here. This is not our final home. This is not. This present world is not our final destination. We do not belong here. We are here on a mission. A mission given to us by Jesus himself. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples. What are we supposed to do? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's why we have baptisms. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, All of us are disciples and all of us are called to make disciples. Hallelujah. Now, question. Do you think of yourself as a disciple maker? Answer it to yourself. Do you see yourself as a disciple maker? Another question. Who do you think is called to make disciples? I very often, the thing that comes to our mind, oh yeah, the pastor, the evangelist, the missionary, they are called to make disciples. Yeah, hallelujah, God bless them. Lord, I'm praying for them. No, no, no. We are all called to make disciples. That's the biblical truth. We are all. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go around trying to convert every person that you meet. That you meet. It doesn't mean you, you, you go around every day trying to preach the gospel to somebody. But it does mean that you are aware of your mission. And that you look, you are aware of, you look for opportunities to present Jesus to people. It can be just an encouraging word that you give to someone. It can be an offer to pray for them. It can be telling them a a short story of what Jesus has done in your life. It's called a testimony. It, It can be sharing a Bible verse with them that links to your conversation. It can be inviting them to come to church with you or inviting them to watch online. Give them the link and say, watch online. That's part of reaching out to people. It can be directly telling them that they need Jesus in their life and asking them if they want to give their life to Christ. And if they say yes, praying with them right there and there. So there are many different ways of helping people to come close to Jesus, making disciples. Disciples are not a one-time thing. Discipleship is a process. And we make disciples by being aware of the process and being part of the process. Amen? Before I continue with the message, we are going to get ready to have communion now. And so as I bring this message to a close, please, if you guys can distribute the, uh, the, the, the communion sets, please, I would appreciate it. For those watching at home, please be ready. Get your bread and your juice ready. Uh, For those who are not members of Awaken Life Church, you are invited to take part of this communion as long as you are a believer in Christ Jesus. He is the one who invites us. Amen? And so feel free to take a communion seat and be part. Children are welcome to participate with the help of their parents, please. Amen? Okay, so carry on. Thanks, guys. So as I was saying, there are so many ways to remove obstacles and how people move. Towards the cross. And I gave you a few examples. In these days we live in, we all need to be ready to engage 
in disciple making. People around us need hope. They need direction. We may not have all the answers. Thank you so much, brother. We may not have all the answers, but we have the answer that counts and that really matters, which is Jesus. And, and a relationship with Jesus will go a long way to bringing all sorts of other things right. Church, let us become intentionally engaged in these two practices, honorable conduct and disciple makers. Our honorable conduct will back up our efforts as disciple makers. And being disciple makers will alert us to the fact and the importance that we need to have honorable conduct in our lives so as not to be a stumbling block to others. We have discussed two practices today. We will continue the study next week with practices three to six. So please don't miss out. Right now, we are going to celebrate the one who gave himself for us so that we could do these things. We are going to celebrate the one who lived the most honorable life on earth. We are going to celebrate the one who took away every obstacle that could exist between man and God. Amen. He died for our sins. He paid a price for us so that we could have a direct and clear path to the Father and to heaven. And so, as we celebrate, as we celebrate Him, remember that in Him, you and I, we can live an honorable life no matter what our past may have been. Amen. As we celebrate Him, remember that in Him, you and I can have an honorable life. Amen. You and I can be disciple makers. It's about Him. Let us stand up to share in communion. Praise God. Let us get our bread ready. Amen. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for this bread which reminds us of your body, which was broken, broken for us, Lord. You gave yourself for us. So that we could be united with you, Lord God. You took upon yourself our sickness, our disease, our corruption. That we may be made whole. And so we thank you, Lord God, for this bread. The fruit of the ground. Thank you for blessing it, Lord God. As we remember you, Lord Jesus. And what you did for us. Amen. Take and eat. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's get the cup ready. Lord, we thank you for the fruit of the vine, which reminds us of the blood of Jesus, which was shed for us on that cross. 
Thank you, Lord, because of your blood. Every single sin, Lord God, that we could ever commit or have committed has been obliterated, Lord, blotted out. Thank you for your blood, Lord Jesus. And Lord, just because you have forgiven us of all our sins does not mean we're going to be negligent, Lord, now. But as we heard this morning, because of what you've done for us and because of your presence and power in us, we will take responsibility of our lives, Lord, to live lives that are honorable to you, Lord. We're going to conduct ourselves in an honorable way that pleases you by your strength and with your help, my God. Forgive us, Lord, when we fall, but help us to stand up again, my God, and to continue. Thank you that in you, we find forgiveness. Thank you that in you we find restoration, Lord, and that we can continue on this journey for your glory. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Take and drink the cup of blessing. Amen. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. One more time, let's sing it. Oh, the blood. Hallelujah. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Lord, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your blood, my God. Thank you for this message, my God. Thank you for your goodness. Enable each one of my brothers and sisters, Lord, to continue on this journey with you. Enable each one of us to engage in the two practices we spoke about today, Lord. More intentionally, Lord God, and more effectively for your glory and your goodness. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. We welcome Brother Jeremiah and Sister Leratu to our worship team as well. They are part of the coming into part of our church and also part of our team. Thank you so much, guys, for being part of the team. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Receive the blessing. Father, thank you for this time together, Lord. And now, my love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us, enabling us to live lives which are honorable to God and make us aware of how we can help others to become disciples of Jesus. Amen 
and amen. Have a wonderful week. See you next Sunday for the second part of this message. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah.